Good evening, everyone. It's really a blessing to be able to meet in the house of God, to share the goodness of God. And those who are following online, we're very happy to have you as you join with us in reaching out to God, open up our hearts together. And those, there are several who are not well in their bodies, we're going to ask the Lord to really touch them. Lord, we'll touch every man of God, especially our pastor, as he ministers the word of God. May their lives be touched in a mighty way. And the assemblies, the saints of God, different needs are there that the Lord is very much aware of. And we thank him and we do appreciate God that he's not only just capable, but uh, he will do everything according as we ask by his will. So let's join together as we ask him to take charge in all these areas. Eternal God and our Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your presence. You said you would be with us always, even to the end of the age. And Lord, those men who are holding up your name in truth at this time, my God, reach in and touch your minds. Grant them, Lord, a word. Meet in due season. Lord, your people will be strengthened in their very lives. Every home, Lord, we commend to you. Everywhere your people are located. And as we, O oh God, continue tonight, your presence we crave. Cause us, Lord, to be victorious. Lord, we thank you for what you have been doing on our behalf. In your precious name, we give you thanks. Amen. 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 Still water, amen. And sometimes down paths I do not know. Sometimes he leads me through the valley. Sometimes down paths I do not know. Sometimes he leads me through the valley, but where he leads, there is grace doth flow. Sometimes not perhaps I do not know. 
us your wonderful name through the joy and tears. Bless your precious name, Lord. Bless your name, bless your name. After all these years, bless your Lord. Bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, amen. Worth it all when we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ, 
small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. So appreciate these songs that are so beautiful. Well, it's good to be in church here on a Wednesday night, and um, I have one of my dear friends, Carlton Chan, sitting in the congregation tonight. And when I say a good friend, he's family. Um, he's married to Chandri's sister who just passed, that passed away a year ago. But um, we go back all the way to our boyhood days when I was 18, 19 years old. Carlton was like my bigger brother. He was about six years older than me. And so we were a bunch of boys growing up. And today we had a wonderful time reflecting on days when we'll go out and keep a crusade. Um, there were times when we had to grab our microphones and run because... There were people in the neighborhood that wanted to come and machete us. Uh, there were times when we cast the devil out and the devil cast us out. You know, like it went both ways. But we had good days. We were reflecting on a lot of good days and memories. I, I do not like to burn bridges I cross on. Unless it's a bridge of evil. But when I'm thinking of Carlton, I'm telling him... I said, you know, one day I was traveling to the United States. I think we were probably going to Kingsport. And I got a text message from someone. And uh, this person uh, messaged me and said, 
Are you Brother Desmond that was teaching at Otline School? And I said, yes. And you see, the reason why this person was finding out is because Carlton would remember he was with us on many occasions. In the early days when we had school programs, we go to school, sing songs for the kids. He played an accordion uh, in those early days. Uh, when he was gone, we continued on. But um, this lady said, well, you would not remember me, but I was one of the young kids uh, that came up from the lower section of the school to join the religious program you were conducting. And she said, I want you to know that many of us little Hindu girls that were growing up became Christians uh, by listening to that uh, thing. We decided to become Christians. And you know, you did that years ago, and you're thinking, oh my, all of that effort, I don't know why we did it. Well, after a while, you'll find out that good seed falls on good ground. And you don't know what God can do. But I'm glad I have Carlton here. We have, go, we have gone back many, many years. And uh, they were, I remember the first earthquake, a tremor. Uh, we were all boys sleeping together. Uh, we had, we made a, a bed on the ground, a long bed, because we were not, we were just like temporary there. And we were sleeping, and then suddenly the building starts to rock. And Carlton, who knew more about these things, he said, it's a tremor. So he says, everybody out of the house. Can you remember that? Yes, and we all ran out. I don't know what a tremor was. What's a tremor? But you know, the animals knew. Uh, they were uh, the cattle, the cow, the dogs. Everybody was anxious, except humanity. We don't really have our senses to know. Anyway, I'm glad to have him, but we're glad to be back here. And recently, we have done... A lot of talking about uh, sin and iniquity. And it might be a light message that passes over a lot of heads. But I would like to say that if iniquity gets in, into any great powerful church, it will undermine the purpose of that church. Uh, when I'm looking at a scripture, and tonight I sat down there and I started to see if I can put anything uh, together to talk to this congregation about and I ended up with just the date on my notepad. <laughs> just the date. It's 17th of November 2021. That's all I got. And so while the service was starting up and we were singing, I thought of this scripture in Ephesians 6 and I opened my Bible and there it is. Ephesians 5, sorry, not Ephesians 6, <clears throat> Ephesians 5, uh, where Paul is, is um, sending this letter to the church at Ephesus. Paul did not start this assembly. Uh, he took this assembly over, uh, seemingly, from a young man who started it, whose name was Apollos. And Apollos, I was mighty in the scriptures, an eloquent man, but Apollos knew only the baptism of John. It was a sad thing that Jesus had come. John was preaching about the coming of Christ, and uh, John died, and he had his movement. And you know, these, there are things in the Bible that uh, boggles my mind a little, and I always wondered why John did not follow Jesus. 
I wondered. He was a great man, one of the greatest men in his time. But why didn't he follow Jesus? Well, I believe the will of God had to do something with that. John, his ministry was coming to an end. And even John told his disciples to go find out if he was the Christ or they had to look for another. But John finished his ministry and it ended. And then apparently his work carried on. After John was gone, uh, the church or the movement he had was, was still operating. And uh, this young man, uh, Paulus, uh, was in, in, with this group in Ephesus. And the Bible says he was, an, my, he was an eloquent man. I'll read exactly what it says. In, um, in Acts the, uh, 18 chapter, it says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, which was a Greek city, very predominant Greek city, he says, an eloquent man. He was not like me fumbling for English words. Uh, he was eloquent in whatever language he spoke, and I believe it was Greek. Mighty in the scriptures. I can't even call myself mighty in the scriptures, but this man, whatever scriptures were available at that time, Apollos was mighty in that scripture. Remember, the New Testament was not written at this point in time, and the New Testament church was not built by the New Testament. Uh, the New Testament was the result um, of the New Testament church and not the reason for the New Testament uh, church. And so Apollos, apparently he was mighty in the Old Testament scriptures and the law of Moses and Isaiah, Jeremiah and the major prophets, the minor prophets and historic uh, books in those days. But uh, the problem says here he only had a limited knowledge concerning present truth. John had prophesied that there cometh one after him, uh, the latchet of whose shoes he is not worthy to loose. And uh, this Jesus, when John saw him, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And two of John's disciples, only two, left John and followed Jesus. Jesus never stopped them. He never said, go back to your pastor. No, he allowed him to follow him. But John did not. And uh, for God knows the reason. He was not disobedient to God. I guess that was what God wanted. And Apollos was a prod product of John's ministry. But he was limited in his knowledge because that which John had prophesied about came. Jesus came, he was born, uh, uh, shepherds came to see him and wise men from the east. Uh, Jesus lived a normal life for, and when he was approximately 30, 30, uh, 30 years, his ministry started. All of this transpired. Jesus had a ministry for approximately three and a half years, and Apollos did not know. Jesus worked miracles, and you mean Apollos did not know? Uh, he was not in what God was doing presently at that time, at the present time, in his day. And so that is why he knew only the baptism of John. And you see, this is where sometimes truth is washed down. And 
individuals someone said you tell someone uh, to pass a message to someone and if there's 40 people in line by the time the message reaches the 40th it's been changed our wording has been changed and that is how truth sometimes fail to remain truth and it goes down all the way down and so paulus by the time uh, job priscilla and aquila who were disciples of of uh, paul now think about it jesus came jesus left jesus preached for three and a half years jesus died jesus resurrected the early church got started the holy ghost was poured out on the day of pentecost and Apollos still only knew the baptism of John. Sad that he did not feel, and that is what can happen with religious, religious bodies and religious groups, ours not excluded. We can come down a path and think that our founders or the people that formed the work uh, had a desire to go on with God, but the ones that follow them had no desire to move further on in God, but to just build around that little circle and group. And that's what happened with Apollos. And though he was mighty in the scriptures, and it says when Paul came to Ephesus, and Paul found these disciples that Apollos apparently left, uh, had, uh, he said here, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And you know what the people said? They said, what? Holy what? We don't even know what you're talking about. Now, what kind of church you're building out there uh, in, in, in a move of God, in a man that was born, John the Baptist was born as an, uh, when he, the, the scripture tells us when he was a babe, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. His mom and dad had inspiration from the Holy Ghost. Uh, when John was born, um, Zechariah prophesied under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. These people please God. How come this work that Apollos was planting, the people, Paul says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And he says, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And this is the problem because a work can start with a good motive, good a desire, a good purpose and lose out as the years go by. And so that is why understanding, Peter said, wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things that you be established in the present truth. There is past truth, and God works in the past, but God moves on. The church in the wilderness, is it, uh, the, uh, Israel going through the wilderness is a type of the church. Uh, we go through a process of time, and God moves on. You can't stay at an oasis. You have to move on in God. And I pray every day, and I hope that in today's day, we can find what God is doing today. Uh, because we need to hear from God and get direction today from God. And I believe, I was telling someone this morning, I don't have any doubt whatsoever that when I stand behind this pulpit that God touches this feeble mind of mine and give us messages. And the Bible says the priest's lips should keep knowledge. 
And they that seek the law should seek it at his mouth. And so Paul had to rebaptize these people that he met in Ephesus. And that's how Ephesus was started. Uh, Paul had to spend three years preaching in Ephesus. And you know, Paul preached in a different time frame than we are preaching today. And today I was listening to the news and uh, they say this coming year they'd have no restrictions to the gay pride parade. I think we need to have a parade that the church carries on. Uh, why can't somebody else have a parade uh, that you can be proud of? No, the age we're living in is corrupted. And that which is evil progresses and that which is righteous pulls back. Uh, that which is evil is supported and that which is godly is hindered. When Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus, he gives us some ultimatum. He tells us what the church is supposed to do. And uh, we must understand that if I'm going on a diet, and I feel every, every so often we need to get on a diet and lose some weight, because if we're to live and uh, serve God, we've got to get a cholesterol level good, and we've got to get our hearts pumping good. If we're to preach the word of God and offer people salvation, we must be able to experience it for ourselves first. Isn't health important? Uh, if I was, wouldn't I be sad if I'm coming here with a wheelchair and barely able to pull up, and I look at you all and say, give me a chance, I need to cough. And I go to the side and I have serious asthma. What influence would that be? And I tell you, Jesus is all-powerful, but I fall along when I'm leaving. Hmm? And that is the difference with our church today and the early church. So when the Holy Ghost fell on the day of Pentecost, something happened. When the Holy Ghost power was given on the day of Pentecost, it turned these cowards, Peter and the rest of the disciples that were fleeing for their lives, it made them champions and had a boldness to what they had to do. And when Peter and John went to the, the temple that morning to pray, uh, Peter and John were walking in and uh, there was an impotent man, a lame man, man lame from his mother's womb, at the gate of the temple. And he stretched out his hand for alms or for some money. He wanted some help. And Peter looked at the man, and if I was there and that man was in our day, I'll tell him, uh, listen, uh, sir, uh, we'll have you come to the church on Sunday. And uh, we'll have a few brothers fast and pray and see if we can heal you. And most of the times when I look at lines lined up for prayer in our day, the line is long and people come in need and they go back with their needs without it being met. Because we do not have the power of God like they had on the, daily, uh, the day of Pentecost and the early church had. We can kid ourselves, we can fabricate little things to create an impression, and that is why the message on iniquity is so important. And so Peter looked at the man, and he says, we don't have money. Now, if I was the man sitting there, I'd already lose faith. Oh my God, these guys look so happy, I thought they had some money, but they don't have money. See, it was not the man's faith, because already, he was told something that would dampen his desire to receive anything from these men. 
But Peter said, silver and gold we don't have, but what we have, uh, we will give you. He says, John, join me here, because the Bible says, if two shall agree, is touching anything. And he held the man, and he held John, and he says, you know, dear Heavenly Father, maker of heaven and earth, al almighty God, omnipotent, omniscient. Is that what he did? No. Sir. no. He had something, and all it needed was him to give that man something. He says, I don't have money, but here's what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He didn't break his neck to heal his foot. You know, some preachers got to rock your neck, and when you're almost broken, then they heal your foot. He didn't do that. He didn't have mechanics. He didn't have to put on a show. He had the power of God. And God had given the Holy Ghost to bring his people into maturity. The devil's plan is to undermine that development of overcomers. And that is why iniquity is in a subtle way brought into the church to undermine the faith of God's people and to hinder the production of overcomers. It's like an assembly line. You've got an assembly line that is doing, making a product that comes out of the end. And I re only remember one assembly line when I was growing up and it was in a lemonade factory. And the bottles are come and the bottles are washed in the assembly line and they're washed uh, automatically and then they turn over and then they move on a little and they put up and then some liquid is poured in, some, uh, some, um, Syrup is poured in and they go down a little more and something else is poured in and the, by the time it reaches the end uh, It is aerated and capped And you got a product If any one of that element is affected on that assembly line, you wouldn't have a finished product Iniquity is that which hinders the church from producing what God intends it to produce it's a man-made structure that comes in between and see if you can fabricate that cap or fabricate that aeration that needs to be done. We can't do that. You can't fabricate the Spirit of God. You can't mimic something that is supposed to be real. But God's purpose of the church is not just for us to come and sing songs and be happy. His purpose of the church is to give us a message and an anointing working in our midst that will produce overcomers. We've got a world here to overcome. I got your finger in Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 5. And I've got your... I want you to just move over to the next book. Just for a second here in Philippians, the second chapter. And this is where Paul is telling us in Philippians, the second chapter. He says, uh, he says let this mind, verse 5... Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind? A mind of humility, a mind of submission. It says, uh, who being in the form of God, thought not equality with God, something to be grasped at. Uh, King James has thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But uh, the center column reference, if you have an Oxford Bible, it would read like this. Who counted not equality with God, something to be grasped at but made himself, emptied himself of his repetition. Christ gave up his position and came down 
uh, to this earth as a human being, as a servant. Uh, he had a purpose in mind. It says uh, he had uh, he gave up his repetition, took on him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Uh, contrary to a novice being ordained, Paul says, ordain not a novice, lest he being lifted up with pride. Christ offers humility. The Spirit, the Holy Ghost offers humility and uh, meekness and tenderness. Uh, the spirit of the devil would want you to lift yourself up and boast yourself and make you some predominant person in society. Our examples are in the Bible. Don't look on television for examples. Our examples are in the Bible with Jesus being the main example of it all. And so the mind of Christ is to help us. And then Paul went on further on here. He said in verse, uh, verse 14 in Philippians, the second chapter, he says, Do all things without murmuring and disputings that you may be. The end result is you must be blameless and harmless. I can't say I'm blameless today. Can't say that. I am working on that. I'm not as blameful as I used to be. But I can't say I've apprehended that which the Lord has apprehended me for. But I'm forgetting the things which are behind that are evil. And reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press. For what? Public glory and gain? No. I press towards the goal, the mark that is set before me, that I can become an overcomer, that I can be blameless and harmless, that I can be ready to be a part of the first resurrection. And he goes on here, he says, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, where, as you live in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights. See, the world is full of darkness. We can't incorporate the darkness. But here is a problem. The devil in this century, in this age we're living in, as a matter of fact, for the past 2,000 years, he has transformed himself as an angel of light. His apostles that he sends out, the devil's apostles, and not apostles that teaches you bad things, they're apostles of righteousness. But if iniquity is working in their lives, and that is why Jesus would say, depart from me, the, he that work iniquity, it would affect their production of overcomers. Now you might look like one, you might dress like one, but if you're not one on the inside, you're not an overcomer. And Paul says, he says that we may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke. As we live in the midst of a crooked and perverse nations, we must shine as light. So back here in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes and he says to the church at Ephesus, he was exiled from this church uh, like we are living today in our society and we can't preach against sin like we should. Because this church would be closed down in no time. But I will preach in this church and let you know that we are not to hobnob with the elements of society. And we will preach against sin. 
as we see it. Because we're living, Carlton was telling me, he says, this is North America. Uh, Canada and the United States are like Sodom and Gomorrah. I say, I agree with you. A hundred, more than a hundred percent. We're living in a sick society. Uh, you want to be a pervert, you want to be something funny, society would support you. You want to live for God, you'll be persecuted. And Paul, when he preached the gospel in Ephesus, they exiled the man from the city. They kick him out because he preached the truth. I wish we had more men like Paul that can preach the truth. But you see, we're living in a different age. And he that winneth souls must be wise. Not wise in a, in a human form to immobilize our effort to serve God. Don't be subtle and call it wise. Uh, we're to be wise in the day we're living in. To keep the church in operation as long as possible. There's coming a time when the government will come on in and try to tell us what to preach. That is when we need to take our stand. That is, why, that is when you'll know who's standing with you and who will turn against you. That is when you'll know that a man's enemy shall be there of his own household. Spiritual and physical household. And so Paul writing here, he says, he couldn't go, but he's writing. And he has not changed. The man is the same old Apostle Paul. And he writes and he says, Husbands, verse 25. He says, uh, Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And he gave himself for it. Why? That he might give us good songs and give us a chance to get good music. And we make a lot of noise and we dance. Now... Uh, he died for he might save us. He might sanctify us. See, in John 17, when Jesus prayed, he said, Father, sanctify these men that you have given me. Sanctify means to set apart from the rest of society. He says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. He says, I have sanctified myself. Jesus sanctified himself from apostate religion in his time. And he prayed for his disciples to be sanctified from the apostasy of their time. And not only them, but those who followed them, even though it's 2,000 years down the road. We ought to be sanctified. And Paul says, Jesus died that he might sanctify the church and cleanse it. Here's the question. You listening to me tonight, whether in this local church or online, are you sanctified? Can your neighborhood see a sanctification between you and the world? Do you follow that which the world follows? Are you entertained by what Hollywood produces? Are you being subjected more to what they say than what God says? Then somewhere down the line, if a church cannot produce overcomers, that church has iniquity working in it. And iniquity might be the way we teach our children how to worship God. If it's contrary to the way God wants it worship, uh, him, himself worship, it's iniquity. The way we organize the church and the way we carry on in the church, we have to check where it came from. Well, our fathers have passed it on to us. Well, we need to find out where our fathers got it from. 
You know, my ancestors, they rode on donkeys. I'm so glad that that tradition did not pass on to us. Otherwise, we'd have a nice set of donkeys out there. And Brother Sham, you'd take a long time to reach here because you'd have to ride a sports model donkey like a zebra. I'm glad we have given up some things of the past that we can live today and understand what God demands today. There are things in the past that men in the past did that we can't do today. But holiness has not changed. Morality has not changed. The moral laws of God has not changed. God is still holy. That has not changed. And he wants a people sanctified from society today. Evil today has advanced. The devil has transformed himself as an angel of light. And so sometimes when you hear the gospel, it's not coming from the right source. Because even the devil preaches the gospel today. We've got to ask God to have mercy on us and help us that our eyes might be free from the darkness that is in society. <clears throat> but Paul went on here, he said that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water, that is by the Holy Ghost and the word preached, that he might present it to himself. When he returns, he might have a church presented to himself not having spot. His church, at his return, the overcomers, the children of God must be spotless. Brother John, are you spotless tonight? No, me too. But you're not as spotted as you used to be. No. You see, the process is continuing to work on us. But if we have iniquity somewhere down the line in the church, that assembly line to produce overcomers has an obstruction somewhere that is getting contaminated. And it will hinder the production of overcomers. And that is why it's important. Time is running out on me here. He says that he might present himself a church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. In the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, you must shine as lights. Christ is presenting to himself a church without spot or wrinkle, holy and without blame, over and over and over. But the problem is, a lot of times, God's people are sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. In that in the church and in Israel, back there in Israel, in chapter 1 of Isaiah, we dealt with that. They had offerings. They attended church. Isaiah was talking to them. They went to church. They had offerings. They did not miss the feast. Uh, they did not offer polluted bread. They offered fed beasts to the Lord. And yet, Isaiah said, you people laden with iniquity. You seed of evil doors. He's calling God's people. If you were out there in Israel uh, that period of time and you wanted, you look at the nation of Israel, from your perspective, they look okay. It's like the church at Sardis. It had a credibility that it was alive. Everybody said, good church. Hear the music? You see the vibrancy? 
But as far as God was concerned, it was iniquity there. The church was dead. Our conclusion as to how we are is not enough. What God thinks is more important because as the heavens are above the earth and the east is from the west, so different, different are God's thoughts and God's ways from our ways. It is important for us to understand that iniquity can bring a blockade between us and God. It can hinder the church from moving forward. And Jesus, that's why he prophesied, because iniquity shall abound. But remember, he died, he was wounded for our sins, our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. Remember, the Father said to the Son, Thou hast loved righteousness, that is sinlessness, and you hate iniquity. And if a church accidentally, without knowing it, has iniquity inside, Jesus loves righteousness and he hates iniquity, whether your name is Gospel Assembly Church or any other church. If iniquity is operating in that church and it's man-made structure, the way we pray, the way we worship, the way we, uh, uh, whatever we sing, the way we preach, the way we see kids get filled with the Holy Ghost, the methods and methodologies that we have used over the years passed on to us from our ancestors, a lot of it is flawed. And that is why I'm here preaching. Because somewhere down the line, we must examine where we're coming from and every aspect of our religion must be scrutinized and to find out if iniquity is working in our midst. There's a scripture in, in Isaiah 59. I know I've got 10 minutes left. Uh, but here in Isaiah 59, uh, we cannot get into all of this. But this is a beautiful scripture. And <clears throat> I was listening to this scripture this morning. And that is why it's fresh in my mind. It says here, Behold the hand of the... Behold the Lord's hand is not shortened. Remember... He's always there to help his people. His hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy that it cannot hear. In other words, we've got a God that if we're sincere and honest, he will hear us and answer our prayer. But the hand of the Lord is sometimes represented in the Lord Jesus. That's what Isaiah said, right, in chapter 53. Who had believed our report, and to whom is the hand of the arm of the Lord revealed? Isn't that what it says? Something about arm of the Lord. Let me just find that here quickly, uh, because of limited time. He says, who had believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? See, the arm of the Lord is representative of Christ, his son. And here in 59, it says, uh, The Lord, Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot uh, save. He's going to save his people. He, is, he has all that is needed to save his people. But God never forces us. The decision is ours. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And that is why preaching is important. Preaching the word of God is important because God might be knocking on your door. Don't close your ears to that. Now here is what it says in verse 2. The Lord says, but, 
See, sometimes but is a good word, a good conjunction, and sometimes it's the bad stuff. He says, but, what? Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. God is not the problem. We're the problem. See, they, when Peter told that man to get up and walk, the man got up and walked. But we'll tell you to walk, and we got to get laryngitis by the time we finish praying for you, and you still can't walk. We lack the power of God. We have a great God, and He's powerful. His hand would always be ready to reach out, but depends on who is asking. And iniquity bars our relationship with God. You might get goosebumps. Oh, Sister Nadine, that song, He Touched Me, was so good. You know, He Touched Me, I feel good goosebumps. What you feel is not important. Did God touch you? They get goosebumps when somebody scores in the stadium. Hmm? When people are scoring, somebody's kicking something or hitting some score and make a goal in the stadium, people get goosebumps. And you can get goosebumps in church and doesn't mean a single thing. Listen to me tonight. God said your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you. For your hands are defiled and for, with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongues have uttered perverseness. He says, none call it for justice. No one really want to find out what God wants. None call it for justice, nor any pleaded for truth. So nobody really want to find out what is the truth, really. You know, tonight I'm talking to you, but every denomination having church tonight believe they've got the truth. And I got the truth, you got the truth, we all got the truth. Uh, the truth about the truth needs to be understood. How about the truth about the truth? But if you feel like there's no possibility that you can be wrong, you'll never get the truth. You have to come to the place of understand God is there more. And I like that song, more of you, more of you. I need more. I've had enough. But Lord, I need more of you. I need to understand, unlike Apollos, that keep the, kept the people locked out in tradition of the past, Paul had to come, he says, I'm going to rebaptize you all. How come they did not know about the Holy Ghost? Because God had moved on. And there are a lot of things that can happen that you might be held in the past that don't even know. Because your iniquity is separated between you and God. Iniquity separates us from God. No matter how big the church is, no matter how powerful the band is, no matter how good the preachers are, iniquity separates us from God and overcomers will never be produced. Bible says that. And he goes on here, he says, and your hands are defiled and your blood in your fingers with iniquity, your lips have spoken lies. He says, your tongues have uttered perverseness. None call it for justice nor any pleaded for truth. Their trust in vanity, in, you know, we got to get bigger properties and nice cars and that's it. God is blessing us with a lot of money. Health and wealth. 
Nothing like the disciples had. Nothing like the prophets manifest. Nothing like you'd find in Hebrews 11 chapter. See, our examples go back to Jesus. He was, he was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And what Israel did? And they hid, as it were, their faces from him. The greatest rejection of all time was not Peter's rejection. Was not when John was rejected. Was not when Paul was rejected. The greatest rejection of all time was when Jesus was rejected. And they killed him. God's people killed him. He came onto his own and his own killed him. And that is what is happening when truth is brought up. None call it for justice nor pleaded for truth. I'm looking at the time. They trust in vanity. They speak lies. They conceive mischief. They bring forth iniquity. It says in verse, um, in verse let me go down here further on. It says, verse 6, their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves uh, with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hand. It's, that's because of evil. Their feet run to evil. That is religious people. <clears throat> their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts, uh, their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity, waste, uh, wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace, they have not known, but I got peace. I've got peace like a river. No, you don't have. You know how many people, when we were growing up, a man gets together with his friends on an evening and drink his booze, and you think he's got peace. He sings loud and he beats two pieces of pan or something, and you think he's as happy as ever. Before you know it, he's lying in the mud, drunk. It says, they, the way of peace they have not known, and there is no judgment in their goings. They have made them crooked paths. They design crooked paths that will not bring salvation because it's things of evil. Anything they have decided and designed to entertain the people rather than edify the people is works of iniquity that will destroy the people it's, it's so, it is such an important uh, area here to look at. And I'm skipping through some areas because of time. He says, um, For our transgressions, it says in verse 12, are multiplied before thee. Thy multi for our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, as, uh, as for our iniquities we, we know them. In transgressions, in transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from the, our God, speaking oppression and revolting, receiving and uttering forms of the heart, words of falsehood. And, and that is what is happening because if we're creating an impression that God is there and God is not there, we're liars. If I say, well, the Spirit of God is great tonight and God did not have His Spirit there, I just got a little emotional thrill, I'm a liar. The worst liars are not the ones in a tavern that tells you he swam across Lake Ontario in the winter. The worst liar is one in the pulpit that has a suit on and lies on God. Say, God spoke to me and He never did. Iniquity brings about a false sense of perfection, a false sense of confidence, a false sense of serving God. 
iniquity does. Man-made iniquity blocks that assembly line to produce overcomers. Amen? Uh, There's a verse I wanted, but I don't think I can find it. Um, It tells us that when someone is promoting iniquity, he is accepted. And when someone speaks lies, he's rejected. Right here in this same chapter, I can't get to it tonight, but it tells you that when someone stands up now, and I'm going to uh, give you the truth, rejection. You, promotes, you promote evil and iniquity, they accept you because you become an entertainer in the pulpit. And listen to me, I'm closing. Uh, when the congregation becomes an audience, the pastor and the preacher becomes a performer. When you sit there and all you want is to be entertained, you are putting pressure on the preacher to become a performer. A God-called man of God never performs for the people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Wednesday night. We thank you for the opportunity you have given to us that we can present your word to to, to our people, Father. Lord, we understand a little more tonight about iniquity, in this production of the church, in this purpose of the church to produce overcomers, Father, we have failed miserably because the world is in the church. Lord, as it was in the days of Noah, sure, Lord, but the flood is in the ark today. The church is powered by the flood right in the ark. Please, O God, we ask, deliver us in this evil day from the evil of society that, that is so predominant all around us. Let your word challenge our lives. Illuminate our minds and hearts. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen.